0: Turn to Psalm chapter five. Our sermon today is a, it's about how to pray. And in a sense, it's about how to convince God to listen. Now that may sound strange, and it is it is a bit strange <clears throat> because you don't think of having to convince God to listen. Or if you do think that, then maybe you, you fill it with all sorts of wrong meaning. That if you're, if you're good enough somehow, then God will listen. Or if you sacrifice enough, then God will listen. But the psalmist works hard to convince God. If you think of Jacob, when he wrestled, with the angel of the Lord, and he desired a blessing from God. And he struggled and wrestled with the angel, and he would not let go until he said, bless me. And when he received the blessing. And so we are to struggle with God. We are to... We are to work in our prayers. And that's, I think, part of why we don't like to pray, because prayer is work. But here we have the psalmist teaching us to pray and to turn to God in difficult circumstances. He makes an argument for why God should do what he's asking. And it's because he's praying to God. That's the first. (laughs) He says, hear me because I'm praying to you. I'm praying to you as opposed to there's a lot of other things that he could be doing, right? Instead of turning to God with his needs. And he says that God should listen because it's for the good of God's people. And for the frustration of God's enemies. That his prayers are towards good things. And he says that God should listen because it will bring glory to God. And so all of these things, when we bring them to our prayers, we learn how to pray. We learn what to say to God. We learn what is important to god and these things line up in a lot of ways with the prayer that jesus taught his disciples what is one of the one of the petitions that we have in the lord's prayer it's your will be done on earth as it is in heaven right and so that petition indicates that it's good for God's desire to be done. And so then when we begin to pray and we pray that things would be happening that are good according to God's judgment here on earth, then we can go to Him in confidence and we can say, This, this will be good. It will be good for your people. It will be good for your enemies. It will be good because you've said it's good. So let's stand now as we read Psalm 5 for the choir director, for flute accompaniment, a psalm of David. Give ear to my words, O Lord, consider my groaning. Heed the sound of my cry for help, my King and my God, for to you I pray. In the morning, O Lord, you will hear my voice. In the morning, I will order my prayer to you and eagerly watch. For you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness. No evil dwells with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all who do iniquity. You destroy those who speak falsehood. The Lord abhors the man of bloodshed. And deceit, But as for me, by your abundant loving kindness, I will enter your house. At your holy temple, I will bow in reverence for you. O oh Lord, lead me in your righteousness because of my foes. Make your way straight before me. There is nothing reliable in what they say. Their inward part is destruction itself. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. Hold them guilty, O God. By their own devices, let them fall. In the multitude of their transgressions, thrust them out, for they are rebellious against you. But let all who take refuge in you be glad. Let them ever sing for joy. And may you shelter them, that those who love your name may exalt in you. For it is you who blesses the righteous man, O Lord. You surround him with favour as with a shield. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. We must go to God with our concerns with our fears, with our groaning. There's a lot of other things that we're tempted to do with all of those. With the burdens that we bear, with the, with the, the fears and worries, with those who are persecuting us, those who are attacking us, those who are enemies against us for no reason... Sometimes we simply become angry with God when these things come upon us. Angry with Him for allowing us to suffer. Other times we just complain to the people around us about how hard life is. Sometimes... We just like to worry without going to God or anybody else. Just hold worry close in us. But we must go to God. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning, for I pray to you, he says in the next verse. (coughs) Go to God constantly. You say, well, I went to him yesterday, and I'm still suffering. I'm still groaning. I'm still in pain. I, I still face the same troubles. And the psalmist, David, has, has struggled and, and been attacked and been at death's door over and over and over and over. And what does he say? I'll go to you in the morning. Morning after morning, he, he goes to God In the morning, O oh Lord, you will hear my voice. In the morning, I will order my prayer to you and eagerly watch. Go to him day in, day out, morning by morning, expecting him to answer. How often Do we think we should go to Him? You wake up in the morning and you have that knot in your stomach about what's coming. Hopefully, this isn't happening to all of you right now, but I know that it has happened to all of you at times that you don't want to go to bed because you don't want to wake up the next morning, because you don't want to face the work, because you don't want, because you dread. You dread what God has given you the lot that you have in life. And sometimes it's because you're simply lazy. You just don't like to work. But a lot of the time it's because you have enemies, because you have people persecuting you, because you have those who will sin against you, because you have great sorrows to bear of yours or to help others bear. These are the things that we that we can dread. And so you wake up in the morning and it pops into your mind. And you think, I should pray. I should go to God. And instead what? Well, I need coffee first. Right? Coffee will actually solve your problems better than prayer. that's That's what you think. I mean, prayer will be good. Prayer will be even better. It'll be better still if I pray after coffee. Am I right? Isn't that what we do? And not just with coffee, of course, but with the next thing. Well, I need to eat something. Well, actually, it's time to get in the car. Well, you know, I'll pray while I'm driving. But the radio's on. And pretty soon prayer's just gone. Not not even in your mind anymore to pray because now you're facing the thing. Or some of you decide instead to rely on your own strength. I shouldn't be weak. I shouldn't have to go to God with this. I I can take this. I can handle this. I'll just handle this on my own. As though you you, you could be too embarrassed to take your weakness to God, your Heavenly Father who made you, who knows you, who knows your weakness is better than you do because He knows that your biggest weakness right now is not that weakness that you're worried about, but the weakness that you're too embarrassed to come to Him. He sees through you. He knows you. Don't wake up in the morning and say, "I got this." You can do this. Don't don't believe the the lies that the world gives you. The you know the uh, the self help crap that they feed you on the radio and on TV and in the magazines when you're checking out. And I mean, it's. For goodness sakes, it's on your, the apps. You, you open up your app and it pops up a little, like, inspirational quote. You guys have this? Oh, it's called Instagram for, for some of you. But, I mean, even if you don't do Instagram, you open up some apps and they're like, I don't know. It's absurd. Self-esteem, right? That, that somehow what you really need is just to believe more in yourself. No, you need to believe more in God. And when you believe more in God, you'll go to him in prayer. And when you go to him in prayer, what are you going to say? You're going to say, answer me because I'm coming to you. And that's the first step, is coming to him. Instead of all of this other stuff that you want to do or that you, that, you, that you get distracted by or that you fall into, Morning after morning. The world's solutions to your problems. You can try them one after another, after another, after another. Go to God. Go to Him constantly, looking to Him to save you from the many problems of your own creation. The many problems of others, creation, the sorrow and suffering that comes from living in this fallen world, the world, all of creation groans looking forward to the day when sin is done away with. How much more do we look forward to that day? Pray for the coming of that day. And God will hear if you go to him, because he hears the prayers of his people. In James 5, we read, The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. How much? Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. Then he prayed again, and the sky poured rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Now, how many of you believe that you can pray and that it will accomplish something? Raise your hands, all of you. You need to. Now, how many of you think that you're like Elijah and you can pray like Elijah. Nobody's raising their hand. (laughs) But the reason that James added that little bit about Elijah is because he was just a man with a nature like ours. He prayed and God answered. God hears the prayers of His people. And He he especially hears your prayers when your prayers are against evil because He hates evil. He hears your prayers against evil because He hates evil. And so where do your prayers against evil start? Well, they start with you. Praying, Father, I don't want to do evil. I don't want to be evil. I want to obey you. Help me obey you. It's so easy to get discouraged by our own wickedness from going to God. And you can think of that verse from James, the effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. And you say, well, I'm not righteous. There's the problem, right? I'm not righteous. If I was righteous, then I could pray. But since I'm not righteous, I can't pray. At least I I can't pray and really expect anything to happen, not until I am really good. Well there's there's actually some truth to the necessity of righteousness for God to to hear and to answer your prayers. We're warned against sin so that our prayers will not be hindered. So that your prayers will not be hindered is one of the is one of the warnings that we're given, right? So so here you have Elijah and Elijah was a righteous man and it is connected to his righteousness that that God heard him and yet and yet in spite of your sin you go to him and you go to him with righteous prayers and he will hear you. And you go to him and the only reason that you can't even go to him at all is because You have been given righteousness. The righteousness of Jesus Christ. Last week we talked about the lies of Satan, the accuser. Remember that. He loves to discourage you. He loves to lie. He loves to say that there's no hope. But when you go to God, with righteousness, He answers your prayers. It's also easy to get discouraged, though, by the wickedness that's around us, right? When you see your own enemies thriving, growing wealthy, Seemingly blessed. When you see the enemies of God getting the riches of the world, the praise of the peoples, it's easy to be discouraged. It's easy to be dismayed It's easy to despair. Think, this is what's happening in this world. This is is what's going on. But if you are dismayed or if you despair, those are the opposite of turning to God in faith-filled prayer. Prayer. Don't grow discouraged. Don't believe the lies that Satan is trying to convince you of. That that actually those who sin end up being blessed. The psalmist is confident that God will hear him. And he's confident because his prayer is against the wicked. And he knows that God will punish the wicked. So you see, all of this rests on believing rightly that God will reward the righteous and that he will punish the wicked. Those two things go together and they're perfectly true and David is confident of it as he goes to God in prayer. Why is David confident of that? After all, how much time had David spent suffering at the hands of his enemies and God's enemies? Well, David is confident of it for a lot of reasons. I, I think as an Israelite at that time, there would be no way of avoiding thinking about the Amorites. Now, who were the Amorites? The Amorites were the people who lived in the land that God gave to Israel. First. They were there first. And how long were they there? They were there a long, long time. And why did God wait so long to give His people the land that the Amorites were in? Because He was waiting for them to complete their wickedness in genesis 15:16 we read god speaking to abraham as he's promised the land to him and he says actually your descendants are going to be the ones who get the land Then it says, in the fourth generation, they will return here, for the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete. The iniquity of the Amorite was not yet complete. But when the iniquity of the Amorite was complete, what did God do? He utterly wiped them off of the face of the earth. And this is David's confidence. This is our confidence. The enemies of God will be destroyed. That's what the psalmist says. Verse 5, the boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all who do iniquity. You destroy those who speak falsehood. The Lord abhors the man of bloodshed and deceit. This is part of why David is confident to go to God in prayer because he knows God hates this. And this is what is is giving David grief. This is what is causing him to, to struggle. This is why he feels the need to turn to God in prayer because he sees this wickedness. Now look around in the United States today and the USA has not yet Completed her iniquity. But her throat is an open grave. Her throat is an open grave. And so when you pray to God and you pray against the terrible wickedness of abortion, you know that he will hear you. And when it when it seems hopeless you remember the Amorite and you remember that God waited for generations and generations for them to complete their wickedness. And then he fulfilled his promise. His judgment was poured out. He destroyed the wicked. And this should give you hope. This is not something that we like to focus on, but it it is actually very hopeful because otherwise you look around at this world, you look at what happens, and you look at the consequences, and you think it doesn't, it doesn't there is no justice in this world. It doesn't make sense. Why does God allow the wicked to live? Why does God allow this to go on here? Why doesn't he do something? And the answer is, he will. He will. And so you can go to him instead of simply falling into despair, on the one hand, or, on the other hand, deciding that it's better just to be wicked. You think of what Solomon, wise King Solomon, says, and, well, tries in Ecclesiastes, right? And he's, he's talking about all the things that he tries. He goes on and on. He thinks, you know what, it's better just to be wicked. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. And in the end, God reveals to him wisdom. And truth. And he says, it's better to fear God from your youth. And so your prayers may be answered many years from now. Your prayers may be answered many years after your dead. But when we pray by faith according to God's command we believe that they will be answered. They will be answered. Even as Abraham believed by faith. And just like David. And so are you suffering? This is not something that is new to the believer. It's also not something that you only see in the Old Testament. 2 Thessalonians 1, 4-6 says, Therefore, Paul's writing to this church, he says, Therefore, we ourselves speak proudly of you among the churches of God for your perseverance and faith in the midst of all your persecutions and afflictions which you endure. The Thessalonian church was suffering suffering, persecutions, they were enduring by faith, and it made Paul proud. He delighted to talk about what the Thessalonians did as they suffered. He goes on, he says, This is a plain indication of God's righteous judgment, so that you will be considered worthy of the kingdom of God, for which indeed you are suffering. And so when you suffer, you're suffering for the kingdom of God. Think of David, all right? And David went through things that you can't even fathom going through, right? He suffered in ways that is mind-blowing to us. And, And was his suffering for the kingdom of God? Was his suffering bearing fruit for Christ's kingdom? And the answer is, are you reading this psalm? If you read this psalm, David's suffering is paying off in the benefit for the kingdom. Do you see that? You would not have this psalm if it were not for David's suffering. And so as you are strengthened by this psalm, you remember... That it was because David suffered that you have this psalm and that as you suffer you're suffering for the kingdom too and people will benefit from your suffering not just you but God's people God's kingdom and that's a sweet thing. now you has to be selfless you have to be selfless for that to be sweet, right because you have to think, well, this will be good for other people. It's okay for me to suffer. Other people will benefit from this. And you have, to be, you have to be selfless to think that way, don't you? You have to have love for other people, other people that you don't even know. One of Heidi's favorite books is a book by Elizabeth Prentiss. And Elizabeth Prentiss suffered and suffered and suffered and suffered. And her suffering paid off in God's economy many, many, many times. Heidi benefits because of Elizabeth Prentice's suffering. You benefit because of King David's suffering. The kingdom of God is built up through your suffering. It's sweet. It's encouraging. It shows you that it's not pointless. And then Paul continues. He says, for after all, it is only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you. What's Paul saying? They will pay. They will pay. God will afflict those who afflict his people. But what about our evil? Do you have evil? Of course you do. Did David have sin in his life? Of course he did. And so you think, well, I don't know about this whole God punishing the wicked thing. It seems kind of scary because I see my own sin and I'm thinking, I don't know. Whose side am I on? Well, be on God's side. And your wickedness is forgiven. What does David say? As for me, verse 7, by your abundant loving kindness, I will enter your house. And so David has just gotten done talking about the, the wicked and the punishment that they will receive and teaching us to fear God. He does hate all who do iniquity. And we can't sin without consequence. And if we think we can sin without there being consequences, then we have no concept of the fear of God. We have no understanding of his holiness. But immediately after he he teaches us to fear God, what does he do? He teaches us to rest in God's mercy. What is it that allows David to come into the house of the Lord? It's God's abundant loving kindness. There's a lot of it. It's abundant. His loving kindness. What is His loving kindness? Well, it's loving and it's kind. It's loving kindness. He's, he's so merciful to us that He allows us to come into His presence as sinners to be made righteous. Righteous. And we, we come into his house, we come into his holy temple, and, and what does David do? He bows in reverence. Reverence for God. And so that fear of God and that love for him come together, in, and that's probably the best way to think about what reverence is. When, when we reverence God it's it's this combined love and fear of him as as one emotion it's this loving fear and it's sweet and and so he and so he falls down on his face in the temple and what does he do he prays he sees He knows, he remembers that God is going to punish the wicked. He knows that God will reward the righteous. He comes into God's presence and he says, Hear me, God. How important is it that God hear our prayers? Well, if he doesn't hear, it's hopeless. There won't be any hope for us. What will happen? Verse 8, O Lord, lead me in your righteousness because of my foes. Make your way straight before me. There's nothing reliable in what they say. Their inward part is destruction itself. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. How are you going to escape all of that? The flattering, the lying, the killing that they do, you need God to hear you. You need Him to hear you. If He doesn't lead you through the middle of that disaster zone, you won't come out. You won't make it through. We won't find His path, the path of safety through the storm, the path of righteousness the path with wise actions? How much do you need God's wisdom as you you face decisions in your life? Set aside the wicked. Just think of, of one decision in your life that you're looking back and forth at the different options. If God doesn't give you wisdom, What are, the, what are the consequences? There are some, some choices that we make in life that, that the, 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 the consequences just roll like a wave up the beach. They just go on and on and on in your life. Do you want wisdom from him as you make those choices? I say there are some choices. They come like every other day, in my experience. <laughs> And then there's the ones that everybody knows, this is a major decision. Where are you going to go to college? I don't know, but it's going to affect me the rest of my life. Should I get a new job? I don't know, but it's going to be a major change one way or another. It's something's going to, this is going to, this is going to have an effect forever. That's right. And that's without considering your enemies. And your enemy is not just other people that have it out for you, right? But Satan and his demons who are seeking to lead you astray. If God doesn't hear your prayers, what chance do we have in this life? We need to find his path. He needs to lead us onto it. And then you think about how you're supposed to deal with those who delight in shedding blood. This is a struggle. Or those who love to flatter. How are you supposed to deal with them? Or those who spread destruction? We can't hope to see victory against this sort of wickedness unless the Lord is at work. And here we're taught to trust in God to deal with them. Verse 10, hold them guilty, O God. By their own devices let them fall. In the multitude of their transgressions, thrust them out, for they are rebellious against you. People who fight against God have no intelligence. They can seem like they're very smart, like they're real bright, like they're even brighter than you, like you have no chance against them. And without God, I just got done saying, you don't. But in fact, they're fools. And God will turn the wisdom of the world into foolishness. He will show it for what it truly is. They do mad things. They will trap themselves. Think of how often the psalmist writes, let them fall into their own traps, let, let them be caught in their own, in their own schemes, Right? What kinds of mad, mad things will they do? Absurd, insane things. Well, let me give you an example. Attacking God's people. Remember who God is? You're going to attack his people? That is not going to go well for you. He loves them. He has promised That he will be there for them. Attacking the weak and the helpless, attacking Christ's bride. Let's bring this down to today. When you have a man who is a real father, and he sees someone attack his daughter. What does he do? You'd have to be mad to touch her in front of him, wouldn't you? What's he going to do? He's going to show your foolishness. You thought you were getting something good. You thought you were wise. In your own eyes, you were. But your foolishness is revealed in that moment. And God is a righteous, heavenly Father. He is a compassionate Father. He loves His people. He loves His bride, the church. And so when the wicked attack, they will pay. That is their absurdity. It doesn't matter how smart they appear when they're in the midst of doing it. It doesn't matter how much it seems like they've found a workaround where they can get away with it and there will never be a cost to them. There will be a cost. God will not let them go unpunished. But those who turn to God are able to take refuge in Him. And that is exactly the same point made from the opposite side, right? <laughs> because if he will take out his wrath and vengeance on those who attack his people, then to be his people is to be protected, is to be cared for, is to be loved. You don't want me to stand up here and say how much God loves you without also saying, this is how much God loves you. He loves you so much that he will destroy, crush, pulverize, obliterate those who attack you. You say, well, I'm not sure I like that second part. And I say, then you don't want God's protection. Do you want God's protection? They go together. You're his people. He loves you. He'll protect you. That's sweet. That's a wonderful promise. God is especially inclined to hear the prayers that we make on behalf of the weak, on behalf of the helpless, on behalf of children, on behalf of his people. And this is where David ends. He says, Let all who take refuge in you be glad. Let them ever sing for joy, and may you shelter them, that those who love your name may exalt in you. What's he saying? He's saying, Answer my prayer, God, so that your people can worship you so that your people will be safe, so that they can come into your presence. The blessing in the end that we're dependent on God for is the blessing of Jesus Christ that those who take refuge in him will never be apprehended by their enemies. You say, well, David was apprehended a lot of times. And I say, but God brought him safely through. You say, yeah, but he died in the end. And I say, yeah. Yeah. And so will you, unless God sends his son back first. But what it was David's hope? His hope was in the promise that his son would reign on the throne forever and ever and ever. And that wasn't Solomon. That was Jesus Christ. And so we are surrounded by him as a shield. If we put our faith in him. We're protected. Protected from the... Enemies that we have in this world, protected from Satan, and ultimately redeemed to the glory of God from our own sin. And so he leads us in his righteousness because of our foes. does that seem strange? (laughs) He leads us in his righteousness because of our foes. That's his promise. That's his blessing for us. Put your faith in him. Let's pray.